0: good hashtag trench warfare problems thought it was an apple turned out to be a grenade (laughs) trench (laughs) warfare (laughs) problems trench doesn't turn at right angles shockwaves killed me
1: (laughs) ordered mustard on my sandwich I got mustard gas
0: (laughs) (laughs) trench warfare problems
1: War Room in New York City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Eshin. And welcome to episode 37 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this
0: episode, we're talking about prepping for a session, and we'll actually prep one on the show. But first, the party meets their second dragon in the Morning Glory campaign. And later, our adventurous noble answers the call in the Character Creation Forge. All right, we got a lot to cover, but one quick
1: announcement. Just a reminder, catacon's Kickstarter for 2016 goes live in one week on April 21st. And catacon 2016 is in Dayton, Ohio this year from November 11th to November 13th.
0: No Ravens.
1: Yeah, no Ravens, and I will be there. <laughs> so if you are interested in going, feel free to reach out to me. Um, please donate to it or purchase a badge. It's the only way to get badges is through the Kickstarter.
0: Yeah, even though Shane will be there, you should still go.
1: That's a good point. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the Morning Glory campaign.
0: So last week, the party killed a crazy silver dragon and then met another dragon It was much smaller and said, Hi, I've been waiting for you. My name is Kankubar." And the party says, okay, this is weird. What's going on? So Kangabar explains that he is a member of the Chamber, which is a group of dragons that studies the the Draconic Prophecy. You've heard this name before as the quote-unquote good dragons, the dragons who don't kill humanoids on sight.
1: Yeah, the less awful dragons, really. Right.
0: He tells you that you are in an area of Argonesson, the continent of dragons, called the Vast, which is ruled by rogue dragons and dominion lords who have humanoid slaves or just wander around eating and killing whatever they find.
1: Yeah, we killed a pretty important one of those dragons, huh?
0: He tells you his name was Astaroth the Mad. Yeah, yeah.
1: Not a real nice guy, apparently.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So he says that he is a student of the Draconic Prophecy. He has told the other members of the chamber that some people who are somehow important to the prophecy will arrive somewhere in this area. So he's been here for several days, and lo and behold, you show up. He thinks you're important in some manner. However, the rest of the chamber definitely didn't believe him. And he says, you know, if you come with me to meet the rest of the chamber, I think I can convince them. Oh, yeah. We've heard that before. (laughs) You look delicious. I mean.
1: (laughs) If you just hop up into this pot that we filled with water, we absolutely will not turn on the heat and turn you into stew.
0: (laughs) At least not very quickly. So. The party had just been in New Metro talking with angels and they had learned that there is a thing called the Draconic Prophecy and that all the prophecies that they have had thus far are some portion of it. So they're sitting here with their second prophecy and a dragon says, hey, I've been expecting you. And they say, well, I guess we don't really have an option here. It seems like there are crazy dragons flying around and we got lucky with one, but I don't know if we want to fight through a dozen.
1: Yeah, internally, we're like, we got lucky with one. Externally, we're like, I mean, we'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if you heard, but we just killed Astaroth the mad. <laughs> that guy. Is there a bounty? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, our companion is currently hacking up into pieces <laughs> to, to acquire his scales <laughs> for future use.
0: Kankubar does say that he believes Astaroth does have a horde somewhere. He's not going to tell you where, but... Maybe you can get a piece of that action if you come back with him.
1: Did we do that? Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, We'll cool. get to that later. Sure. So you say, okay, you need to travel for three days on foot because if you guys start flying around, then the other dragons will see you and that'll be a big mess. And you can't teleport there because he says, no, you, you can't teleport there. <laughs> so we're going to walk. It takes three days and... Finally, in the far distance, you see an impossibly tall tower. And this is coming from a group of PCs who have spent a bunch of time in Sharn. Right. That has towers that are 2,000 feet tall. But this thing, I mean, you, you see it long before you actually get there. And you, you probably guess that it's two miles, maybe more tall. Um, very narrow and... As you get closer, you can see circling it at uh, many different levels are what look like, you know, birds. And then, yeah. of course, as you get closer, it's obviously dragons. dragons of all different colors. Yeah. And as you approach, he says, welcome to Vervitherex. But we'll find out what exactly that means next week. This
1: week's episode is actually brought to us from a listener question from friend of the show, Jason Chris Baker. He asks, how do each of you approach game prep? While some of it has been sprinkled into episodes, I don't think it's come up as a big topic. As a GM, I'm always interested to hear how other people prep for their games. So the only way we could think of to answer that question is to just walk through an example session.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I will say that both of us have definitely begun prepping much less as we have run more games and as we've actually been talking on the show about the kinds of prep you need to do because... You know, honestly, winging it during a session is often far easier and often gets better results.
1: Yeah. And I think we also kind of do we go through the steps that we're going to talk about, but we don't do them in a conscious sit down and make notes kind of effort. Right. Right. It's Sort of you go through these steps over the course of a week and then you, you sit down to hit the highlights, right?
0: Yeah, and you, you know, you'll know you do it while you're doing other things. You could, right. You're working out or you're commuting or whatever and things are just sort of going on in the back of your mind.
1: Right, or you're you know watching movies that inspire you and you go, oh, I got to get that into my campaign somehow.
0: Right, right, and boom, you got an encounter. Exactly.
1: <laughs> so real quick, we'll run through the basic steps and then we'll actually perform them. So first of all, you got to get in the mindset. Either turn on some music, movies, TV shows, reading, digging into source material, the whatever podcasts. it takes. Yeah, podcast, <laughs> Whatever it takes, right? You've got to be in that sort of creative mindset. And then you want to think about the theme of the session. What do you want for tone? How do you want the players to feel when the session is over?
0: And often that's already going to be dictated by where they are in the story. What happened last session?
1: Right, right. And then think about your goals for the session. What are the group's goals for the campaign overall? And then What am I trying to get done in this specific session? Where do I want the players to get to in a story? What do I want them to have in terms of rewards? Like, what's the purpose here?
0: Yeah, it's often helpful to think of your campaign in terms of arcs. You know, what when does this particular story that's happening right now come to some sort of uh, end or, or closure? How far away? Like, how many weeks away do I want that to be? And then, what is the pacing that we need to have in order to get there?
1: Right, and then in terms of A session is what's different (laughs) at the beginning and end of the session, right? It's (laughs) the simplest terms there are.
0: And that doesn't mean, okay, here is A and here is B. Maybe here is where we are. Here are several different outcomes,
1: right? Right. Or it could be they will have answered this question in some way, right? (laughs) And
0: I guess the dice will determine it,
1: perhaps, or they will make a decision or whatever, right?
0: (laughs) And then the dice will say no, (laughs)
1: exactly. And then I like to sketch a story arc or kind of a flowchart of potential story arcs.
0: And not necessarily literally sketching, but maybe.
1: Yeah, sort of a mental flowchart of what would be going on if the PCs don't intervene in any way. Mm -hmm. And then what are ideas for what the PCs might do?
0: And at this point in the middle of a campaign, you've got a good idea what your players want to do, what they're interested in doing, and then what those particular PCs that they're playing would do in the situation as well. Exactly.
1: The key of, of this thought process is understanding some ideas that you've thought through so that you can adapt them to fit what they actually choose to do. Right. Then you want to actually develop encounters and scenes based on that flowchart. Just high-level concepts for what that decision point might look like in the game. Who's involved? What are the challenges of the encounter? Where is it? And then sort of what are the potential outcomes?
0: In general, try to avoid win or lose situations. You know, you don't really want the outcome, the definitive outcome to be okay, then everyone dies or this particular PC is crippled for life.
1: Yeah. I mean, unless it is a story appropriate point, right? <laughs> if this is the win or lose moment of the game, you might lose. Right. You know, that that's okay. But in general, yeah, Shades of Grey are a little better
0: right until you're getting to those sort of end of campaign or end of se- of arc right. moments right and then after that you build
1: those encounters this is the mechanical bits in the system that you're playing what are the actual stat sheets the encounter balance are you setting up a skill challenge are you setting up a series of skill checks are there traps are there tactics that the enemies are going to deploy in combat those sorts of things you want to actually build that stuff
0: out for yourself Right. You have your flow chart, So once you place the PCs into that, how do their actions ripple out from there? Yep.
1: And this is where you definitely want to keep track of your party composition <laughs> and player preferences. Because if you know that the players like to play a certain way you might want to challenge them or you might want to reward them for playing that way by giving them an encounter where those tactics work really well.
0: You're going to want to mix it up. If like the last three sessions kicking in the door totally worked really well, maybe it's about time that like it backfires a bit.
1: Right. And likewise, if they have just been beaten to a dust over the past, you know, four weeks, maybe you want them to feel like heroes again, right? Right. Maybe give them a tough looking encounter that they can
0: handle very competently. Right. Now the PCs thinking we should just give up. Mm, Maybe it's time for a bit of a boost.
1: Yeah. And so think of your goals overall, the session goals that you've laid out for yourself when you build these encounters. How do these encounters feed those goals?
0: Yeah. Most games are giving you a general baseline for making an average encounter. So are you ramping it up or are you ramping it down?
1: And then when you flesh out your NPCs, you give the vivid details of the world. This is where you bring your world to life. Usually, it's better to show than tell, which is why I would start with the NPCs. But you also want to think about identifying aspects of the environment that they're in, critical customs that they might
0: observe, things like that. Ideally, you've got your list of NPC names, and you're just picking random ones off. Yep. Or you've already got NPCs that your players are working with, and then you just use the one that is appropriate. Exactly. All right, so... Let's do it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All
1: right, so I've been jamming out to the Battle of Evermore on repeat all morning, so I'm in the mindset.
0: I was uh, reading through Enemies Beyond Ah, uh, while I was on my way over here.
1: So you were reading a lot of uh, Warhammer 40k demonology. Yes, that's
0: exactly it. (laughs) Exorcisms, possessions. Right, right. Okay, great.
1: (laughs) So... Why don't we use this time to give a little campaign background for the session that we're building today? So the party are, um, shall we say, entrepreneurial mercenaries? (laughs) They're looking to make a buck. They are definitely looking to make a buck. Uh, They are definitely competent fighters. And they are caught up sort of adjacent to a war between an alliance of noble houses against orcs in the north of the land.
0: So what do enterprising mercenaries do when they're caught between that?
1: Uh, they try and make a profit. That's right. So they are trying to broker a trade deal with the nobility. And the challenge that they're having here, right, is the nobility have to win the war <laughs> or else no trade deal has any value. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so this is where being competent fighters really comes in. And now we've established the character's goals. You know, They want to make this deal. How do they get there from here?
1: Right. They need to build some goodwill with the nobility, right? Kind of do a little bit of service for them. Make sure that they're going to win the war. And then the sooner the war ends, the sooner they can make some peacetime profits that are much safer.
0: Nudge, nudge, say the nobles. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And then
1: in terms of where they actually are in the action, they have just returned basically to the command tent where the leadership of the war, the general, for example... After they have just finished a successful recovery mission, they've kind of earned themselves a bit of a reputation amongst the common soldiers because they did it with a little bit of panache, so that's nice.
0: So they're feeling like they've finally accomplished something, you know? They are big (laughs) damn heroes. Do we bleep that? I don't know. (laughs) It's from Firefly, don't bleep it. (laughs) (laughs) They're getting ready to be done with fighting at the front lines, and... You know, really go off and and strike out on their own as adventurers.
1: Yeah, they can taste the gold <laughs> at this point, right? Like they're they know they're in the end game.
0: They're feeling a bit cocky too.
1: Yeah, I think so. I, I, they had come off a couple of you know successful combats, uh, like kind of pivotal combats.
0: All right. Uh, so, what's the theme for this session? What what feelings are we trying to evoke?
1: So the phrase that I want to evoke is "war is hell," even for big damn heroes. I want this to, to feel bleak. They've kind of danced around the front lines. They've had a bunch of victories. They haven't paid any costs yet. So I want them to feel like, oh, man,
0: this sucks. So you're feeling like they need to be taken down a peg before they move on, grounded yeah. in reality, and then they can continue.
1: Yeah, I want them to feel like they've
0: bled for this. Mm. And I think it's an opportunity to have them sort of connect with the these grunts, these soldiers in, in the trenches, who, like, they sort of feel like they're above.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Sort of integrating them into the alliance a little bit more than... They've kind of been, like I said, adjacent. Now that kind of brings them into the fold a
0: little tighter. Right, and, you know, it invests them a bit more in, you know, what's going on here. Maybe that's an opportunity to have more NPCs later. Right. Of course, at the same time, you you still want them to feel like they're successful in doing a good job. You don't want them demoralized.
1: Right, right. I want them to feel heroic. So their sacrifices have to be worth it, right? I'm demanding a sacrifice.
0: There has to be a payoff. Assuming they survive. Well, yeah. yeah. (laughs) They might be the sacrifice. (laughs) Right. Okay. So what are the goals for this session?
1: From the group's perspective, their first goal is profit, right? (laughs) At the lowest cost. (laughs) They are the, yeah, they are greedy. (laughs) And so that's what they're looking for. Uh, For my goal, I want them to see the brutality and the complexity of, of a nation at war. And I want to remind them that while they're special, they don't have carte blanche right, like they are kind of they're heroes, but they're not above all chain of command.
0: I think it's important for p c s to understand exactly how strong they are in relation to the setting that they're in right and then finally,
1: I want a dramatic showdown with the Orc warlord who doesn't want that yeah i mean this is this is building so do the towards, players this was building a boss fight, right <laughs> I mean that's where we are. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, we obviously picked sort of the end of an arc. Yeah,
1: and we've telegraphed that it's building towards this, right? I don't think that's a surprise.
0: So what's the story arc look like?
1: So basically, the scouts are reporting that the orcs are amassing a terrifying war host, gather around this warlord. They are going to then charge the alliance lines and try and basically break them. This is the rubber meeting the road. Whoever breaks will lose. And then in the context of the overall war... That flank will be turned, and they will likely lose the war.
0: It's a very convenient way to present a plot hook. You know, scouts are saying, and this is happening. You need to make a decision. What are you going to do?
1: Right. And then in terms of this session, they've just finished an important recovery mission, but they've kind of burned a bridge in the process. (laughs) So they're going to be accused of treason by one of the Alliance command officers, and they've basically got to prove their loyalty
0: to the Alliance. Which is nice because, you know, the vast majority of this session is probably going to be combat in some manner. Right. So to introduce some social aspects at the beginning and give players who respect for that a chance to shine, you know, oh, we got accused of treason. Well, let's brush that off and like move on.
1: Right. And then as part of that kind of also leading into that combat, I want to do some sort of like vignette scenes around the element of war as hell. So like proving them proving their worth. Well, I, yeah, either proving their worth or at least seeing some exposure to how hard
0: it is to be on the I front see. line. I Okay, right? so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really first-hand experience with life in the trenches. Exactly. Okay, so what happens if then, like, they're accused of treason and then someone crits on their, whatever, persuasion or diplomacy? I, I think it's the
1: way that we present those vignettes, mm-hmm. right? If you fail it outright,
0: it will be a challenge that
1: you have to overcome. If you succeed phenomenally it'll be something that we narrate as like a triumphant moment. It's totally player directed as to what their characters are doing. There's no chance of failure. There's no skill check or anything to validate it, but it's sort of, here's a problem. How did you solve it? I just assume that you solved it. We briefly talk about it. We share that moment and then we move on quickly.
0: So in the normal arc of combat, usually there's a threat presented uh, and then intel is gathered. You need information. You go to the library. So... I think at this point, the players either need to do some reconnaissance or have the information presented to them about like what threat they're facing because this is going to be a big fight.
1: Yeah, we don't want them to go in empty-handed. And then there's going to be that assault scene, the actual clashing of armies, bloody trench warfare, the orcs and the humans gutting it out. I want to set them as the backdrop of that moment where the party is trying to kill the head. If you can take out the warlord, you can win the theater.
0: But it doesn't feel like you really won unless you see the warlord. You fight the warlord. So that's got to happen.
1: Uh, it's a showdown. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and whether that has to be TV logic or, or whatever, right? <laughs> there has to be a showdown. Right. There's no dropping a nuke right. on the orcs. Right.
0: So. Does, does the army part, you know, and the warlord steps out and now it's hand-to-hand combat? Do they go chase him? One, The party will decide or will help determine how exactly that happens.
1: Yeah, depending on how they approach it, I know that they will be facing the warlord face-to-face. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's going to be because it's like Troy and all the soldiers back away to allow the champions to fight, or if it's going to be like Vikings, where it just so happens that Ragnar Lothbrok (laughs) is good enough that no one is going to (laughs) come after him while he goes after whoever the opposing (laughs) leader is. One way or the other, we're going to get a showdown. (laughs) (laughs) So from that sketch, we should then start developing encounter concepts. What are these scenes, what are they going to look like?
0: So the first one is the accusation. Treason. That's big. It's got to feel dramatic. Yeah. To be clear, the PCs aren't actually guilty.
1: Right. <laughs> like they, they didn't actually commit treason. But their true story is like barely believable. <laughs> and the, the evidence, Which, I mean, if you narrate almost any campaign. It sounds almost unbelievable. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And so I know that they will be accused by an officer named Herc. He's already been established. Well, you know, it happens. Uh, He's already been established as sort of a hard ass disciplinarian type, right? And um, he's going to, I want him to cite evidence that's
0: uh, true. (laughs) This is one of my favorite things to do. You know, the same thing happened in the Angel trial. Yeah, right? they yeah. cited all this evidence that, from one perspective, looks very negative. Right, but of course, you know, you guys all knew that it was all done for the greater good. Exactly,
1: and then a big part of this I want is some of the items that the party is
0: carrying were taken from Alliance soldiers, <laughs> so which is which is great. Like there was a devil on your arm. Uh, right, look, you, your sword right. has our insignia. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You clearly got that from one of my personal
1: retinue. Right. Like, yeah, uh, that's true. Um, but he died separately
0: from us. They were already <laughs> dead. Right. We just recovered his sword. Not the body, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> Swords are lighter than bodies. Right. <laughs> but the idea here being that
1: it's personal for him. Right? right. And then I expect, you know, the PCs will figure out some way to address those charges. And the key for me is that I want them to to face it as a social situation.
0: Not a combat situation. Not a fight.
1: Yeah, I don't want. I don't want them to be fighting their own guys.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and you know, pretty much any established group, if this, if an NPC turns on them in this manner, right, in a lawful manner, they're usually going to respond not with force, at least not at first. I don't know about this group though. (laughs) (laughs) It it it's true. Okay, so if you're worried about them. Responding with lethal force, you need to give them a deterrent. Exactly. So we'll talk about
1: that when we, we talk <laughs> about the details. And then for the vignettes, right, the, those sort of war as hell scenes. So I have some ideas. How about trouble with the frontline logistics, right? The men are poorly supplied. They're starving. They're sick. They don't have arrows, <laughs> whatever it is, right? They don't have everything that they need to fight at their best.
0: It's a nice way of showing a counterpoint to the way that the PCs usually fight, because they're almost always like, well stocked. And like, why would they? Why would a PC run out of arrows unless it was an extremely dire situation? Yeah, we
1: don't even track ammunition right, yeah, for PCs, right? Because yeah. why wouldn't they have everything? Boring. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They they fight this very like highbrow romantic type of combat, right? Mm-hmm. But these are farmers and blacksmiths right. that are wielding pikes and doing everything they are fighting for their own lives <laughs>
0: like, yeah.
1: they don't have this appreciation of the nobility and country and kin honor or, yeah they are yeah. fighting for themselves and hopefully the guy next to them and then feeding into that right there's low morale and discipline is lousy <laughs> like these aren't professional soldiers these are these are everyone has another job they're just trying to
0: survive and it's very difficult to do that and so that's a challenge. Wait, so you, you want this party to cheer up troops in the tent, like in the trench? I, I mean, maybe <laughs> I, I I want them to at least
1: witness it. I don't know if they're going to fix all these problems, but mm-hmm. I want them to see these problems in action. Okay. Um, And then there's a constant threat, <laughs> like all, probably also feeding into low morale, right? If you feel like you might die at any moment, that's a tough way to live. <laughs> yeah. They're, Works all over the place. And then I also, I have this idea to sort of advance the plot and, and share some of that intel about the gathering host is there's a scout squad that is overdue, right? They went out to do some recon and haven't returned, so they need to exfil them, uh, find them, get them home safely.
0: Which my guess is the way that the intelligence for the showdown gets introduced. That's my idea, yeah. Although you kind of need a backup in case that PC totally screws it up. Well, maybe you won't have the <laughs> you won't have perfect <laughs> Intel, right? Right. So yeah, that's a that's a good drawback.
1: Yeah, or the Intel comes in in a different way. Mm-hmm. So speaking of that, the other way to gain the Intel is just the assault begins. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> we're getting rushed by orcs, and what's that behind them? There's this crazy war machine that is probably has the warlord inside it and is terrifying hey
0: they're here yeah I have some intel right
1: (laughs) and then finally
0: boss fight they're one of my favorite things to plan yeah I think part of it is because players love them so much like oh finally you know we've slogged through all these stupid minions right and now now like something that tests our metal yeah exactly you know this oh we could we could actually get ended here Right. Yeah. So, I'm
1: thinking of this in two parts. I want. I uh, like waves. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a war host kind of showdown where you have to disable this war machine, this vision
0: of terror, and then there's the warlord himself. So you so you gotta you've gotta kill his dragon mount, force him to land, and then I, I'm I'm using this to just like yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah exactly now he dismounts and then now we fight exactly yeah yeah
1: and then. This is kind of my bailout, right? If I screw up the planning of the war host and it's too difficult for them to defeat, and and it just pushes them to the limit, maybe the warlord isn't here yet. Maybe the warlord <laughs> is elsewhere. So
0: I, I I'm want... sorry, our warlord is on another dragon. Yeah, I
1: don't want to. I don't want to telegraph the warlord too mm. heavy handedly. Mm. I think it's a safe assumption, but if it's not true, I don't want that to undermine the story overall, right? If if the war host turns out to be too bit too difficult of an encounter, I don't want them to feel robbed of their fight against a warlord. That they yeah. would have lost because they were too weak by that point.
0: Another yeah, another potential option is that you sort of drag it out into two sessions and then maybe there is a showdown, but then it ends very quickly because actually it turns out that this is a either an imposter or I don't know, sort of a Patroclus scenario where like someone has put on the warlord's armor right, or right. or it's just a, a, a lieutenant, a distra- yeah. Right? A lieutenant trusted lieutenant or a distraction.
1: Yeah, if we run into that problem, uh, we're gonna have to like kind of kill the session and then like plan (laughs) plan again. Right? right? Yeah, and then
0: you like you rip off the helmet, and that is not who you were expecting. End scene. And we'll find out who it was (laughs) next week.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, so then we'll need to sit down and actually build the encounters. so for the treason encounter, I'll make some notes on what are the specific items that the PCs
0: possess. Yeah, right, I would write them down because you want this person basically rattling them off. Exactly. Know, they've been yeah. thinking about this for Wait, a while. This is
1: this is a list of grievances. Yeah. Right. And they are all <laughs> true and none of them look good. <laughs> and and then the other part of it is the PCs can't see violence as a resolution. Right and,
0: and usually one of the easiest ways to do ways to do that is just have them outnumbered. Uh
1: yeah. Yeah. If he is standing with a company of men it's unlikely the PCs will survive at least one of them will die in the process they've shot their whole mission you know objectives of the making uh, money trade deal yeah. they won't make you know and they, they come away empty handed I think that'll cover it
0: yeah and it's already been established that all of this is taking place at the front lines so it makes sense that there are literally thousands of troops around
1: right and it wouldn't be strange for you know a commander to walk around with a large retinue right <laughs> And so then I want to think of this, you know, as we talked about shades of gray, right? So sort of what are the options for outcomes, knowing that I want to get into those vignettes of the sort of scenes of war. So what does total success look like?
0: Well, you know, if someone does quit their persuasion, then they should be getting out of the accusations of, tre- accusations of treason, but they shouldn't be able to walk away scot-free.
1: Yeah, I, I would do it where they're kind of granted a stay, <laughs> you, know, you know, almost <laughs> like, all right. What you're saying, I want to believe you.
0: But we're here at the front. But we need to uh win
1: this war first, and then you'll prove it to me. And then in terms of getting through the next scenes, right, the the way I talked about how I would do those vignettes is, here is something you've accomplished. Tell me how you did that, right? And that's how we'll illustrate it. You come upon um, the men in the trenches that are sick and dying, right? How are you helping them?
0: So you're saying you would do that? with no check if the initial check is excellent yeah
1: i would just assume success yeah and try and, it's great you know so that we can get through this in sort of a maybe 10 15 minutes versus an
0: hour right of, and of then it gives you solving. more time for the big boss battle exactly. which can probably be a little error on the tougher side
1: right uh and then there's just sort of success you pass the check it's not a, especially convincing it's not especially great but you do what you need to do I would say we get to those vignettes through uh, a request. This is Alliance command is like, we have some problems. Can you help us?
0: Yeah. And since the point is for them to build goodwill really before, you know, so they can get this deal done, it seems likely that they'll say yes. And, and and this is probably the sort of the baseline assumption that this is probably the outcome that will happen.
1: Th- that's what I was assuming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually, I'm not sure if they would say yes. You know, they yeah, might yeah. be insulted by the fact that they've been accused and they say, you know what? You know, that's true. Screw off. Uh, we're going to wait around until you guys win this and we're done here. We have to be here, but we don't have to lift a finger to
0: help you anymore. Or, I mean, maybe they're so cocky at this point. They're just like, uh, we're going to go win this war. Right. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe.
1: And, and in that case, you know, if they make that decision, then I don't think I would give them the intel that they need. Yeah. Right. I think they would have made their own boss fight more challenging <laughs> uh, by not playing along
0: then there's also the chance of failure and this is nearly as likely as just sort of an average success usually yeah in most games
1: I'll set the DC to where it's a it's a sort of 50-50 shot Mm. and for this I'm thinking there'll be intervention in a logical way so we've we've established a couple characters within the the command structure so one is Herc who is the disciplinarian Uh, the other is Sturm who is sort of the pragmatist he's an experienced commander he's realistic about challenges and shortcomings he understands the value of the people fighting for
0: him and at that point i think he would intervene and try and you know talk Herc down well right? it's certainly good to have that backup because i mean obviously you don't want one failed check to mean summary execution yeah which of course it would be if you were actually guilty of treason exactly exactly <laughs> so right
1: that that's the mitigating factor and then i i think we would move into the vignettes i would kind of assign like two pcs and, and only do a couple of them and then instead of the requests instead of them being a request it would be a requirement <laughs> and you, they would actually be skill checks so they would mm-hmm. actually be a potential for failure in those regards that would have the ripple effects later on right. as we're soften them
0: up soften up the lines right yeah. right yeah
1: the the orc attack will be that much more difficult to repel that's their fault thing. exactly yeah. and then you know there's a chance of total failure. Small, but you know, yeah, always possible. Crit fail happens, you know, one in, <laughs> one in twenty. Uh, you know, so if it, if it is really something terrible, or the PCs don't take the charges seriously, or or whatever it is, right, or maybe
0: they even do try to fight, or they yeah they yeah. do
1: something like that. I still, well, if they try and fight, I'm gonna have them executed, <laughs> right? That's pretty See, much confirming. I reason. might
0: I might sev- severely wound one of them, and then be like, okay, you really need to stand down, and then at that point, you
1: know. I guess we'll see where that's coming from if that happens. I think that's a it's a long
0: shot. I, mean, I think if if properly telegraphed, then even the cockiest of PCs I think looks around and goes, uh, okay. Yeah, but
1: you know sometimes you just fail your persuasion, right? And if that yeah. happens, that, that's more what I'm thinking. I'll still have intervention. They will be basically prisoners at that point. Fighting for their lives, (laughs) right? Like (laughs) fighting for the chance to actually prove their story is true at a later time. And then we'll go through all of those vignettes and they'll basically just be assigned as punishments. It won't necessarily have rhyme or reason. There's likely to be some fish out of water type scenarios or whatever. And that will make them a much bigger challenge, right? All right. I think that's probably going to be the rest of that session. If that happens, I would say. Oh yeah, then it needs to get. Yeah, yeah. We're mm-hmm, we're not going to get a boss longer. fight in the same session, right? This now becomes a series of challenging encounters that they have to succeed at in order to move on in the story.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's important to note that the purpose of the vignettes of the vignettes it, is not to be deadly encounters, right? You know, or or even to really have the potential for killing them. It's really just sort of to soften them up and then also to get the players in the mindset of the people that they're fighting with, right? Right, Maybe in this case, it just takes longer.
1: And that's sort of a weird meta consequence that I'm, I'm happy with, but also wouldn't use heavy handedly. When you have that sense as a player that there's a boss fight coming, sometimes it's really, it, it really is a punishment if the DM keeps stringing it out. Right. And it's even worse if it's because of your own actions, you know, like, <laughs> Oh, we could have fought the boss today, but we failed that check. <laughs> you know? It's like, we went down the wrong path, you know? <laughs> so I, I wouldn't use that as like a standard kind of punishment but i think in this case it's not too heavy-handed
0: i hope and so then i need to create some of these vignettes so i guess worst case scenario you're making up one for each player uh yeah that's that's right ideally you're only using either none of them as actual encounters right or like half of them yeah and that's sort of the time concern right Mm -hmm. if
1: if we're making good progress early on and I wanna get through these vignettes quickly, I I might cut down the number that I use. If we've dragged out the initial treason scene to the point where it's unlikely we're gonna get to the boss fight, then I wanna kinda stretch these out, right? And make them a little more narrative.
0: Yeah. Because you want to move through them relatively quickly, I I think I'd probably spec them as skill checks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And maybe a couple of them at most. And it's easy to just skip a role if right. we're trying to condense it. That was good enough. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Moving on.
1: That role playing response, good for me. Right. <laughs> so uh, the first, the first of the vignettes is the idea that the frontline logistics are a huge problem.
0: Have so, you been watching Band of Brothers? Is that what's going on? Uh, you know, I haven't. <laughs> oh, you've been reading Gaunt's Ghost. That's I was what's reading going Gaunt's on. Ghost, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh and so so this problem is that supplies are arriving inconsistently and that some posts are understocked and others are overstocked and there's no real way to balance that out so that the soldiers who need supplies are getting them and the soldiers who are not in the midst of fighting aren't just sitting on extras.
0: You know that this could backfire a little bit by showing how incompetently run this entire campaign is. It might make your PCs go uh like really these people are idiots
1: that's true that's uh, they probably already assume that though oh, hmm. you know <laughs> i mean just generally with how high their noses are in the air <laughs> so i would put the root cause is the runners themselves are teenage boys they're young they're scared they're completely inexperienced they're facing threat of impending death and they're also illiterate they're not actually delivering their supplies to the right places actual peasants yeah they're literal peasants and i'll set the dc for whatever the skill check is going to be and i'll just leave that to the players to figure out what skill makes sense to sort of solve that problem and we'll just their narration will inform which skills they use
0: yeah these shouldn't be like puzzles for them to figure out right just do something
1: and if they figure out a better solution or a better cause than illiterate teenagers hey i'm fine with that i can pivot yeah uh, the next vignette was uh, the morale and discipline problems. So I'm thinking here that there's like a punishment detail of men who are unfit to serve the front lines, and it is excessively large. So it's got problems with discipline. They're bad warriors. They don't have the martial skills required. They're not brave, and they're probably in the worst health of all.
0: So time for a rousing speech and maybe some first aid? Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. or or booze who yeah. knows yeah
1: okay. and, and i want to introduce a another npc here the driller who's in charge of the punishment detail like I, I want him to be kind of competent but just overwhelmed like there shouldn't be this many men in his detail not that many men should be falling out of the front lines they should be better soldiers than this he's just overwhelmed
0: well then best to blame the commander <laughs> who's who's charging you with treason to begin with right <laughs> <laughs>
1: And then same thing. Whichever of those things that the, the player seizes on to kind of solve, we'll find a skill check that covers that. All right. So what's the third vignette? The orcs are a constant threat. They're regularly testing the line for weaknesses.
0: So like single orcs, pairs of orcs? Um, like brigades, I guess. Yeah. Uh,
1: I don't. I don't know what the volume of orcs are. Squad, you know, like a, a couple dozen orcs at a time kind of thing. Like charge forward, see what's going on. And then probably fall back,
0: but you're still even with that many. You're still thinking skill check. Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to get into rolling a bunch of right dice. And the nitty gritty of like round by round combat. Right, right.
1: I also want to position the PCs as champions. I don't want them to be rank and file grunts. I want them to kind of have more of a command level kind of approach to fixing the problem. So
0: they tell the archers when to fire and then all fifty archers fire. Right.
1: Yeah. Or, or if they fail an initial check and the the orcs are overwhelming, then okay, well I rush in, right? Okay, mm-hmm. well give me an attack roll to kind of cover your entry into combat and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Right. I don't want it to feel like a intense personal risk. Right. But just kind of a story risk. So I'm thinking things like, you know, a particularly large assault on a weak section of the line that the PCs need to reinforce. I'm thinking maybe something where they can lure them into a trap. Maybe a breach in the t- in the trench, right? Some some of the more kind of basic ideas of just trench warfare problems, right? They need to fix a breached trench or maybe a unit was stranded in a forward trench that wasn't able to fall back. They need to kind of help them with a fighting retreat or something.
0: I think the key to all of these vignettes is that each scenario that is presented has multiple ways to quote unquote solve it, and so that whatever PC ends up in a particular situation, there are there are ways for them to overcome.
1: They're solving it their way, right? Right. So the party face type PCs will do it with intimidate or persuasion, right? They'll they'll do it through charming leadership. Whereas uh, the melee brute is gonna go lead from the front. <laughs> he's he's gonna hack a path to victory, and that's fine. Either way, it's a it's Works. kind of a creative problem solving right. sort of. Situation, right? But the idea is each of these should be highlighting a problem that's sort of pervasive across the entire front.
0: So that just leaves the
1: intel gathering. The scout squad. Right. Yeah. And so this one I want to plan a little bit more intently just because there is sort of a story critical element to it. Mm -hmm. And that this is, I'm thinking, the way that they're going to get the intel for the war host. So I want to set up some stealth checks to avoid. Detection, right? Because he's basically sneaking across sort of a no man's land. Mm. And then probably survival or perception, some type of check like that to actually locate the squad who's obviously attempting to remain hidden. So that's going to be a little bit challenging. You
0: right. know, if they have some other way to do it, like uh, detect magic or something like that, then, you know, that can be applicable.
1: Yeah, sure. And then once we've located them, that PC will then gain the intel that has kept them in the field for so long
0: but then still needs to get it back to the rest of the party
1: exactly and and what I want to do here is I want to make this sort of a question I want to pose a challenge to one PC or maybe a pair of PCs or whatever right but but basically should you intervene now and either delay the orcs or maybe incite them to attack early (laughs) or you know basically use unpreparedness human preparedness or orcish unpreparedness to your advantage making it more difficult for you to escape or do you prize the like cautious approach and ju- just get out uh, it's more important that we learn that we are able to share this with our commanders than it is that we necessarily make the problem smaller
0: and there's not a right or wrong answer it's just an opportunity for players to actually affect the environment and the and the outcome exactly
1: and then the return trip probably going to be stealth checks again to avoid any loose elements of orcs that are kind of in this
0: no man's land right and since they're dragging along the scout this the scout team with them probably more difficult coming out than going in yeah yeah which is fine because even if they fail there they can probably fail forward, still get back but now the orcs are alerted that someone was out there
1: the other challenge they have is that they are now in no man's land approaching the human lines (laughs) (laughs) you know you don't want some enterprising young archer to uh (laughs) line you up and put you down right (laughs)
0: So then, yay, we learned all about the people that we're fighting with. That's very nice. But now they're going to kill something, right?
1: Boss fight. Yeah. All right. So like we said, two pieces, right? Mm -hmm. You've got the war host, which is designed to be a mechanical terror weapon. Uh, So I'm thinking that will be leading from the rear, (laughs) right? (laughs) Sort of urging the orcs on. It has their flank, so they are, are that much more inspired to lead the charges. And then I want that strong enough that it can't be one-shotted, <laughs> right? I don't want any potential solution that the PCs can come up with to just invalidate it. So I need to build enough protection around it that spells won't cripple it, that uh, right. a lucky crit or whatever won't just instantly invalidate it, right? I immobilize need to kind of-
0: Immobilize it, right.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like it, it, it's got to be durable enough to make it a few rounds. And then I want it to also have a high enough threat level that the players are concerned that taking it down is a high risk, right? Right.
0: It's a it's high risk and high priority. Exactly. Right, But it can't be so strong that, because this isn't supposed to be the final boss fight. You know, this is the sub boss.
1: Right. Yeah. So I don't want it to be too strong, but I do also, like I said earlier, right? If I totally misestimate this, I want it to be satisfying enough that if this is the boss fight, they struggle enough that it's still satisfying. Yeah. And then the other part of that is I need it to be able to set up a, a further showdown. I'm assuming that they'll then have the showdown with the warlord afterwards, so I need to make sure that that doesn't feel cheap, that when the warlord pops up from the wreckage of his war host, that the PCs go, "Oh, come on." <laughs> right? Like <laughs> you know
0: Well, you know, maybe just don't have it be explosive. I, I mean, that might help, yeah.: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm thinking every time
1: it gets hit some of the orcs on it will jump off and join the attack on foot.
0: And that's nice because it prevents the sort of sub-boss confrontation from just becoming sort of like a party-on-one solo fight. Yeah, yeah.
1: So the idea will be that the warlord and his retinue will survive, right? And that that won't be surprising.
0: Right, because why wouldn't the warlord be, the one, be one of the ones who jumps off?
1: Right. And then we have the warlord. And this is, I, I think this is really the critical part of the boss fight. My goal for this, I want a PC to die. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, I want a PC to die. I don't think that's a fair goal. In this campaign, the PCs are higher level that death is not permanent. So I think it's okay. <laughs> but this is part of that sacrifice. They, they need to have some some lasting effects from this fight.
0: But you're not going to force it, right? Like if it doesn't happen or the dice go their way... No, and but I mean, I,
1: no, but I need the encounter to be hard enough. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. If they crit every roll, I mean, you crit every roll. <laughs> like it happens, right? right? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't happen. But if it did happen,
0: <laughs> wait, you're not, you're not gonna, fudge, not gonna fudge things yeah, exactly. to do this. But right. I'm gonna set up a hard enough encounter. Right. The goal is to make it difficult so that I'm yes, on, yeah, I'm yeah,
1: on the deadly encounter. Yeah, band entirely here. Right, right? I'm on board. Okay. And then the other piece of this. As we talked about, they have to close down the Warlord. This has to be a true showdown. It can't be that sort of kill him at range. Just He'll never actually be able to engage us and threaten us directly because we're longer range than he is. So rather than trying to come up with this ham-fisted sort of reason that I, I could probably do if I needed to, I I just want to narrate the party closing in on the kill and just start it off in range where they're on a reasonable
0: size battle map and they're kind of at fighting range. Yeah, it, that is one of the things that I do like about battle maps. I don't like to use them all the time, but sometimes it really just sort of enables you to confine players enough and be like, well, here's your map. Yeah. You know, I. You don't want to invalidate a character that can, you know, snipe from 1600 feet away, but. You know, you don't also want them to be doing it every single time.
1: Yeah. You've got that spell sniper warlock mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like, right. okay, well then I'll hang out at 1200 feet and I'll blast him with Eldritch Blast <laughs> and you let me know how many times I have to hit him and I doubt he'll kind of cover the range. That's <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. Like, we'll just start out, you know, you, you can start out as far away on the map as you want, <laughs> but he is on the same map. <laughs> right. <laughs> And then from the mechanics and tactics of the fight, I want him to be commanding. So I want to have some regular orcs that can just soak up attention, sort of prevent the cheap shots on the warlord. I want some some brutes, some higher CR kind of monsters to serve as like an honor guard that'll
0: sort of engage and challenge the PCs. Yeah, this is typical boss fight tactics. The way that most tabletop RPGs work mechanically is... The, that action economy is so much more important than almost anything else. So if you've got just one big bad guy and then four to six PCs, they just overwhelm them with attacks. Yeah, and you know the boss can't respond enough. Which is actually why Five E introduced uh, legendary actions. Right, which lets a solo act much more like an entire party. But it often is more interesting tactically to have multiple enemies on the board. You know, at sort of different stages of power. And then it also presents your players with, okay, do we clear out the small ones but still take hits from the big one? Do we all gang up on the big one, but now the action economy is in their favor because all these small ones are still around and we're getting swarmed. Yeah, exactly. So
1: clearly they're orcs. They're going to be stronger in melee than they are at range. (laughs) So they're going to, you know, (laughs) the tactic here is going to be to charge. So I want to make sure that they have some type of ability, kind of like a battle master type thing where they can close that distance
0: and threaten immediately in melee. And then probably some abilities that help them do more damage when they do charge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's some uh, options in the, in the DMG for that. Right. And, and also, I, I like this idea of
1: showing the brutality of the orcs through their disregard for their own troops. <laughs> so I like the idea of these brutes or the war boss having some type of AoE uh, area-of-effect kind of attack that will just kill his own troops. Right? Like, I like <laughs> they, the idea they, they of... They don't, they don't really aim. They're yeah, just, like, yeah. To, to hurt the PCs a little, they're willing to kill all the orcs around them, right? <laughs> so I, I kind of like that as a swarm tactic, so I, I want to figure out some way to get that on either the brutes or on the warlord himself.
0: Now, Monster Manual usually has multiple levels of orcs in whatever edition you're playing, but for a boss, you usually want to take either a low level lower level version or one of their higher level versions and then tweak it yeah
1: yeah so in this case for simplicity of managing it rather than having three different types and and i'm thinking like six orcs, six broods and a warlord Mm. like i'm thinking a pretty big scale rather than having to manage a bunch of numbers i think i want to keep the war boss as just a statted up brute
0: so just Make the numbers a little bit bigger. Yeah, he's, exactly. He's
1: basically got the same abilities. Basically just more more HP. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> a little bit harder to kill. Right. Uh, because, I, you know, I, I mean, I think I can build the Brutes with, with enough threat level that, that that'd be
0: fine. Mm-hmm. And then um, maybe slap on like a leader ability. Exactly.
1: So I'm, I'm thinking his War Banner gives the Orcs that confidence that they can they have advantage against fear, charm, morale type effects, right? Yeah,
0: I'm a big fan of those aura type effects. Leaders, it's usually nice if they have some sort of like activated ability where they do something and, you know, uh, an ally gets healed or can take an action or something, but that can become a lot of paperwork. Yeah. So sometimes you just say, okay, they have an aura, anything within this this range, which is probably big enough that it's just everyone else has this benefit. And then you just write it into the other Other character's sheets. sheets. Yeah, Yeah. I
1: just assume that's in effect for all of them. Yeah, exactly. And then since we're putting this on the deadly encounter range, Mm -hmm. I need some ideas as a backup plan for how to avoid a TPK if that becomes imminent, right? I want to make sure that dice, in the same way that, you know, it's theoretically possible that the PCs are going to crit everything and wipe it out quickly, it's far more likely that I'm just rolling enough dice that bad luck will strike the PCs as well.
0: I mean, it sounds like you are, you're erring on the side of Deadly because you want this to be not only an encounter that is exciting to, like, play, but also really presses the PCs and lets them know that, like, this is really dangerous. Yeah. Everything here is really dangerous. Right. So, yeah, you need some way to pull them out of the fire if, for example, they made all the right decisions, they they were tactically, you know, doing well. They had all the intel, just the dice didn't go their way. You don't want to wipe your entire party because of that. So one thing
1: I'm thinking, if the war boss dies, it breaks the orcs entirely, right? that's a nice way. Although it needs to be telegraphed. Yeah, but but that banner, right? When Mm -hmm. that banner falls, I think the morale effects, like maybe there's another round of combat and then they start to fall back, Right. (laughs) right? Something like that. An alternative I'm thinking is, this is sort of taking place... Where the front line is sort of engaged in the trenches, and they're in no man's land behind the front lines, right behind Orcish lines. If the orcs begin to break, oh, you're uh, thinking reinforcements. They'll be reinforced, yeah. exactly. The right?
0: the uh, the good guys. The PCs, the, the PCs will be, PCs reinforced, will be right. reinforced, right? Mm-hmm. So
1: if 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 a section of the of the front line manages to clear, they can reinforce them, uh, and, and maybe that can turn the tide. All right, and then our last step here is sort of bring the world to life, flesh out the NPCs.
0: And as we talked about before, since most of these NPCs are pre-existing, you've already probably done you've probably already spent a lot of time fleshing them out and that your players are familiar with them, so you don't need to say here's their name and here's what they do. You just show a different side of their persona perhaps.
1: Yeah. So, we've talked about Herc, we've talked about the Commander Sturm. They're they're pretty well-established characters. I don't know that I'm going to add a whole lot to them. Mm -hmm. The only piece being that Herc sort of takes the treason personally, right? I want to highlight
0: that. I mean, whatever you're highlighting, the PCs are going to take away that they hate him. (laughs) Well, yeah, fair
1: enough. Uh, We also mentioned the driller is the disciplinarian for that discipline company. I think that's probably a throwaway. I I don't want to spend too much time developing him as an NPC. Give him a name, give him a brief description, and then sort of move on. Yeah, they exist as a story plot point. Exactly. Not as a person. And if he needs to come back at a later time, we know the name, we can always go fill in the details. Right. And then for the warlord, I want to, you know, he's an orc. Uh, They're meant to be feral, so I don't want him... He's not going to have speech. Right, there's no monologue. Right. (laughs) So, I want to focus on the banner for him. Mm. Uh, I want to, like, kind of highlight that motivational quality. So, I want to make sure I, like, note that it was forged from human scraps right like it's sort of like not like things cast
0: off by humans but parts of people right yeah (laughs) like
1: the the center the center pole of his staff is actually a human pike (laughs) (laughs) and on it is a human skull (laughs) right like it it is it is his trophy of defeating humans in combat
0: well if the PCs needed another reason to try to kill him (laughs) right other than looting his corpse for copper pieces exactly (laughs) But but I
1: think if if I can direct attention on the banner versus on the individual himself, right? Maybe like that synecdoche will kind of take hold subconsciously for
0: the players. They they'll realize if the banner falls, the army falls, kind of thing. Mm. And I think it'll make the, the victory more worthwhile. Because, you know, you can't characterize a a sort of random orc boss because like you said, they're supposed to be further. Basically, like a big barbarian. Yeah, exactly. You know? And of course, the, if everything goes well, they're going to die. Right. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. His personality is that loud and about to die. <laughs> right. So you, the character that you kind of need to define for them is the struggle itself, the the battle, the war, and then the orcs. Exactly. So, I have a confession, either. <laughs> what is it? I wasn't
1: prepping for a game that I haven't run yet. This is actually my prep notes. What? For our last session of Rogue Trader.
0: (laughs) Oh, right. It totally was. (laughs) And we played this.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So it was set in Warhammer 40k. -hmm. The alliance was, of course, the Imperial Guard. Or actually, it was an alliance of Imperial Guardsmen and Planetary Defense Force and sort of uh, noble house guardians. But yeah, basically the Imperial Guard. Herc was Commissar Herc. Uh, He was uh, Herc the Jerk. Okay, treason. Uh, And the party actually did salvage a bunch of commissariat equipment from a gun cutter. Totally legally. Right. Yeah, You did have the legal right to do so Mm -hmm. as rogue traders. But Herc interpreted that as, you killed fellow members of the commissariat. They were already dead when we got there. Took their bolt guns. That we did, yes. And then... And took their ship. Oh, okay. Also true. And then flew it around in front of him, snubbing your nose at him. And then spinning some (laughs) cockamamie tale about the Inquisition (laughs) and Dark Eldar and blah, 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 blah. (laughs) All the while you're trying to, you know, forge a penny from these poor, poor nobles. These poor, poor nobles. Fighting to be a part of the Imperium. <laughs> so you didn't really paint yourselves in a great
0: light for her. I'm going to kill this guy. Yeah. I'm yeah. definitely going to kill this guy. Uh,
1: the orcs, of course, were played by uh, orcs <laughs> with a K. <laughs> the war host was, in fact, a war truck. So with, with sort two of, Ks. Yeah, two Ks. Yeah. Uh, like a looted imperial vehicle, basically, that they had started strapping armor and uh, <laughs> and rocket launchers to. <laughs> uh and then the warlord i actually used the stats for an orc Knob, which is the sort of second level um elite orc and the orc npc stats and then i gave him the um banner ability was actually ripped from only war from the orc war boss uh but i didn't want to call him a war boss because an orc war boss is a super intimidating like major character right. in like millions and millions of orcs this is sort of like a small band of feral world orcs that were managing to wage war. So I just
0: called him a boss. He was still difficult. <laughs> he was not easy. <laughs> Although, you know, really the, the lowest point was when our, when our Seneschal, our knight, tried to explain to Commissar Herc exactly what had happened. And he rolled poorly, and so he decided to re-roll, and he crit failed. He rolled a 100 right. on a d100.
1: And he was attempting to roll low. Right. <laughs> Which is like
0: a double
1: one right. on a D20. Yeah, it was not good. Not good. My face lit up with
0: glee. Because <laughs> we... I got to totally screw with the party. <laughs> so we definitely were doing the math and considering whether we could shoot Herc in the face and then run for our ship before all of us died. Yeah, well, that's
1: that's another piece of context that is relevant. So... Your recovery mission had actually been to recover a drop pod that had been carrying regimental supplies for the Imperial Guardsmen. Mm -hmm. So it were pretty important supplies in order to kind of turn the tide on on the war front.
0: And unfortunately all the Laz guns had been handed out. <laughs> so I and I made
1: sure to set that up in the session that you know, you guys started unloading all the cargo, or at least, you know, your men started unloading all the cargo and started, you know, dishing them out and and they were ready to go to war. And then Herc goes, Wait a minute, form up. I need you over here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and we we had actually succeeded so well at like our, you know, search checks that you'd given us a bit of a bit of influence over what we had discovered. So mm-hmm. They were actually very good. They were hot shot last guns because yeah. we were like, oh, no, I think we find hot shots. We were right. Like, sure you do. No problem. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. You, you powered up your own executioners. It was great. Yeah. So, so that was basically the first session we got through
0: the treason and then we got through the vignettes. Right. Because as we talked about before, total failure means it, you're basically forced to do it. Everybody has to do it alone. Right. Yeah. My character Trank was the one who went out on to retrieve the scouting party, which he was actually well qualified for.
1: Yeah, he was. That was actually right in your wheelhouse, mm-hmm. and you did not take the shot. You had a sniper rifle trained a sniper rifle on, on the on... Mech boys who were building the war truck. Yep, and you decided not to take the shot. Trank decided not to take the shot, fair enough,
0: because he is the uh, head of security, and it would have been a dumb thing to do. It would have been a low <laughs> chance of success. That's true. Yes, <laughs> he said, "I have intel."
1: My job here is security. It did take you like two or three minutes to make the decision. Yeah, it it really did. And everybody weighed in on the decision. Because I also (laughs) really like sniper rifles. (laughs) It was this question of, I'm built to be a sniper.
0: (laughs) Should I walk away from this shot? Personality-wise, I think at the beginning of this entire campaign... Trank definitely would have taken the shot. Yeah. But after getting captured and tortured by Dark Eldar. Blown up and, by inquisitorial agents. Right, <laughs> and, and now like accused of treason and thrown in a trench. He was just like, you know, I just want to get off this stupid planet. <laughs> this is a bad rock. I could shoot this thing and like maybe I'll disable it, but then I'm going to get swarmed by our orcs and die in a trench. Yeah. And I got out of the Navy, so I didn't have to do that. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> the other vignettes, uh, we did start off with, the logistics problem with these the supply problem which tricks the seneschal handled immediately uh almost i almost didn't even have him roll for it because he role-played it so well i he was just drilled right into the problem of okay i follow one of <laughs> i follow one of the the kids who's delivering supplies which which post is he going to all right he didn't go to that post why didn't he go to that post right? can he read right. um no yeah <laughs> And so he, yes, he sorted that problem out. We then said Echo, one of the sages, was in charge of the punishment detail, uh, which in the Imperial Guard is called RIP. <laughs> uh, and so what I thought was great, and this is the perfect example of why I like doing the sort of narrate your character advancement. So she had, had talked about during her character advancement working with one of the orc free Buddhas who was part of your ship crew to help, learn about the orcs and then to help train her in combat Mm -hmm. and so she took that as i am already well trained in dealing with orcs so i will train these in all of the specific techniques you need to know to survive and to kill orcs
0: also i will treat them sort of like i'm training orcs right exactly i will treat them very
1: brutally in the process like i was taught but it works right uh, and then so later on, during the actual assault, when we, we narrated that, she was like, oh, yeah, so I bring in my, my rip detail.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're like superheroes. <laughs> right, yeah, it was it was an interesting counterpoint because we just totally bombed defending ourselves from the treason accusation, but then all of the vignettes were handled, I think, with multiple successes.
1: Yeah, I would say, like, the lowest total degrees of success was, like, eight. (laughs) You guys (laughs) killed every skill check. So uh, it was all of the possible positive outcome.
0: But it did take the rest of that session. Correct.
1: And that was the real punishment of it, right? Was it delayed the inevitable boss fight? Which Uh, we did the next session. And then the last vignette was the impending assault on one of the weakened sections and Doc, the heretic, decided that he was just going to Funnel all of the orcs into one spot, and then lay a bunch of tube charges and uh, blow them all up.
0: <laughs> he, he also invented a uh, double stubber, a he, storm stubber. Yeah, he did invent he, the storm taped stubber. Taped two stubbers together. Yeah, yeah, uh, which you know held out until
1: it didn't. <laughs> yep, until he needed to ex- to blow it up. And then they they fell back, and yes, yeah, completely destroyed that section of of the trench, but lived to fight another day.
0: So you want to talk about that showdown with the warlord though? <laughs> so we had we saw the gun cutter right? Uh, did. Yeah, yes. uh, a small space capable vessel with pretty a pretty decent gun on the front of it. Yeah, and we had two pilots, uh, yep. Trank and Draco, and so we took it up and said, okay, pincer maneuver. Right, we're going to fly over and we're going to shoot it a bunch of times while the rest of the team sort of closes in in melee. Hopefully, we like to stable it or blow it up enough. And then, you know, you close in and sweep up the survivors. Because we we didn't know that, like, the war boss would, would definitely pop out of it,
1: you know? Yeah, and I actually didn't expect you guys to split the party. I figured you were all going in the gun cutter. So I had no prep for the idea that four of the party were going to be
0: sitting in the trench. <laughs> on the ground. During the first wave <laughs> assault. <laughs> and I think that probably only happened because so many of them had been so successful. And yeah, then right. that, that was... That means that the goal of connecting the party to people in the trenches was successful. Right, right. Because they were like, oh, no, I'll stay here with my men, quote-unquote my men. Right, this is,
1: this is now a viable option that they wouldn't have considered beforehand. Right?
0: right. And actually, the reason that the two of us went up is we're the only ones who can fly and shoot. Yeah, we had had a brief run-in with
1: the vehicle rules, which yeah. made it very risky to really to take everyone in up. vehicles. Yeah, so yeah. I think there was a little bit of risk mitigation. Of we were like, like, well, we don't want all of us to die, right? <laughs> but
0: <laughs> both of us have to go if we have any chance of this succeeding.
1: If we crash, <laughs> let it only be
0: us who crashes. <laughs> there was
1: a briefly considered plan, I think, of dropping the Seneschal, the, the melee specialist, onto the war truck in order for him to kind of disable chop it. Chop it apart with his giant with sword. With his giant sword, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was nixed shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: but it, it went off pretty well. We we got off some nice shots at the war truck, disabled it, but we took a lot of damage. I, we, our hull integrity dropped to three, which is basically like having three hit points.
1: Yeah, that actually worked out perfectly. And I, I didn't know if you were going to crash. I didn't know what you We were definitely thinking, well... Time to burn fate because I think we're blowing up. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I didn't know what it was. I just rolled the dice. The fact that it ended up so close meant that you guys bailed on the gun cutter. Two of the party were already like, we can't risk not closing down the warlord in melee. We can't risk flying anymore. We're landing and we're going to go find him. So that worked out great for the final showdown. But yeah. At first. Well, Yeah. yeah. So you did, you destroyed the war host, the honor guard, basically the war boss's retinue leapt out of the truck and you guys had to go finish the fight. And this is where we kind of got into that. Okay, well, so let's just shoot it from the gun cutter. And I was like, no, you guys are going to close it down in melee because that makes a better movie. (laughs) This is cinematic action. (laughs) And also like, if you're just going to shoot him from afar, then we're going to start rolling actual combat in this trench <laughs> right
0: <laughs> now you now your challenge is actual combat well and also i mean from our perspective like i have a sniper rifle because it's very effective but it's not fun to do all the time i mean i think that's sort of like one of the big complaints about archer characters is that if you play them optimally you just stand several hundred feet away from any of the action you don't move and you just keep shooting round after round and killing and killing right and, and your only choice is to shoot yeah, I you mean, know, you're yeah. very effective, but you're kind of dull. Yeah, but it's your only tactical option to yeah. shoot. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you move five feet to the right or 30 feet to the left. So, yeah, we sort of decided, okay, we don't want to do that. Close, closing to melee or at least, you know, to short range right. is is cool and fun. And, of course, we have a guy with a sword. He needs to get up, up close anyway. Exactly, yeah.
1: So you guys close to like 30 uh, meters or something? Yeah, 30 or 40 meters. Yeah,
0: and then we, we kind of started combat rounds like on a on a battle map right yeah however <laughs> that backfired a bit for us because three of us the seneschal with the melee weapon uh, but then also our doctor and our sage yes all ended up 30 meters away from the orcs and we thought okay that's a decent distance but then they started they started wogging and basically have warlord-like abilities where they can make each other charge. Right, right, So they were able to close the distance very, very quickly swarming them and then they were just in a giant melee scrum while you know the two shooters, Trank and Draco, were off to the side basically trying to pick off a few of the stragglers so that they could join the bigger combat. Exactly,
1: yeah. And, and so, if that seems a little unfair, they had already fought... It's because
0: fought.
1: it was. <laughs> well, the party <laughs> had already fought both the orc boys and the nobs, so you knew about that wog charge ability that had been used against you before they should not have closed so they, quickly they, so closely. yeah I, and and you knew that there were knobs and boys on the map when i asked you to put your players down so i feel like i had the right to play optimal
0: tactics <laughs> <laughs> and even then i eventually stopped walking well you yeah you played optimal orcish tactics which was who's closest to me i will charge i will them. charge them right and that's exactly what they did
1: yeah and so being overwhelmed in melee combat at one point, the sage still having a missile launcher stepped out of combat and did drill the war boss with an anti vehicle missile <laughs> squarely <laughs> in the chest,
0: which he tanked pretty well
1: he was i I have to look at the at the notes, but he was down to like just a couple wounds i mean it was incredible how close
0: she came to just one shotting it man see that didn't i feel like that didn't really come across i from the description i felt like he tanked it and was like injured but fine oh okay that that might have been a shortcoming on my part or maybe i was drunk that's <laughs> also possible or both. yeah <laughs> <laughs> a little column a, a little column a. <laughs> so at this point i think we sort of got um not tripped up we, we the rules of dark heresy second edition sort of kicked in yeah because
1: yeah. the critical hit tables yeah are a little bit bonkers. Uh, so Cool. They're very cool. Yeah. Uh, but the top-level crit damage uh, on the table causes all of your ammunition to explode, dealing damage in a blast around you. Uh, and then if you're carrying any explosives, those explosives also explode. So grenades,
0: a... which is their standard loadout, is having grenades.
1: Yeah. So the orcs were carrying orcish grenades are called stick bombs Mm -hmm. which are like upgraded frag grenades that was bad
0: (laughs) that was really bad yep so when one orc died and then exploded all of the orcs died and exploded exploded. yeah so
1: and this was all i think actually this was all triggered by the death of one of the pcs right did one of us didn't tricks take the Oh maybe. Tricks took ten. Maybe crit I think
0: yeah. I think that was it. And then his grenades and then his grenade. Well, his uh, ammunition. His exploded. ammunition killed and that one of a the knob and then the and knob then chain ex- reacted. Yep. Yeah. And so we kind of ran into a little bit of the craziness of grenade cascades. Right as always, <laughs> which is something I think we'll look into in this system because okay, the first time a grenade cascade happened, we were like, "Whoa, that was crazy!" Yeah. But this is like the third time over two <laughs> campaigns. <laughs> You know, with, and it's not your fault. It's ha- it happened with when Jim was running, you right, know? Right, right. Like, so, w- yeah, we'll just need to sort of, sort of look at this. And I think... It's not the way we want
1: to end every boss fight. Right. So it, we need to figure out a way to mitigate that. Yeah.
0: But it was still pretty epic. It, it was great, yeah. <laughs> I, I was really happy with how it ended. I mean, I'll be quite honest, without that happening, I'm not sure that we would have won. Well, okay, we didn't... Did we win? Well, okay, three of us are in the infirmary, but three of us are still like perfectly fine. Oh, well, that's the other part of the system, right? And right. and so when I said I wanted to kill a PC,
1: I you knew meant going player. in player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I knew going in that 40k has the ability to burn fate. So you lower the number of fate points you have in order to stay alive improbably.
0: Right. So you have a limited number of times that you can do that, but it's still a pretty powerful ability. And it right. lets you take crazy risks sometimes.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So when I set out my goals for the session, right? I wanted to bleed the players. You
0: ended up killing three of them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> However, it's quite possible that what would have happened if there had been a grenade cascade is that just all three of those players would have died and none of the orcs would have. Right, right. I think Draco and Trank would have kited the others. By the way, we probably would have hand-waved that in some way because it would have just taken forever. Well, I
1: think what would have happened is we would have figured out how you could do it, right? right. You guys would have done it. Uh, and I probably would have tipped my hand a little more heavily about killing the war boss. Right. Right. It, it, as you guys were desperately looking for the Hail Mary to win the fight, we would have said, well, the war boss sure seems to be the you know motivational center of this group. Right. So going back to the original goals,
0: how do you think I did? Well, let me take a look at those goals.
1: <laughs> so the first of the goals was to show the brutality and complexity of the imperial war machine
0: that was certainly achieved and you think that was from the vignettes the combat both i think it was the vignettes yeah the vignettes certainly like drove that home now i i'm pretty well steeped in that because i've read a decent amount of uh 40k fiction uh but i think the the pcs right the characters themselves now really understand that yeah and and
1: well frankly i think some of the players do too 'cause there's there's a little right. bit of cartoonishness around forty k of you know millions of imperial guardsmen die in every battle right uh-huh, right and it's that's just called acceptable losses <laughs> like no now there's a little more humanity behind those losses right. right
0: I will say that my character trank uh i think was definitely affected by the the vignettes just just because maybe it was almost a little too effective on like you're just a cog in the wheel, you know? <laughs> he is, he's very, very like, gun-shy now, like, okay, you know? It's going to be a while before I think he feels like he can actually, like, be a rogue trader and this and sort of, like, you know, because rogue traders are, are space pirates, right? It's, right. it's a pirate campaign right. where you're, like, swashbuckling and, you know, boarding actions and, you know, sail to Tortuga and that sort of thing. So it's going to be a while before he, like, loosens up enough to, like, actually do that. Fair enough. So, <laughs> so does that mean that...
1: I also succeeded in the secondary goal of reminding the players that while your PCs are special within the Imperium, they don't have carte blanche to do whatever they want. Maybe even too much. <laughs> I, or or at least other people in the Imperium also feel they
0: have carte blanche, and those carte blanches sometimes conflict. Right? Um, You did give us a nemesis, and we're going to kill him. I yeah, I yeah, I'm interested by that. Yeah, we're going to kill Herc. He's definitely dead. But there was definitely your third goal, a dramatic showdown with the orc warlord. That I think was very effective. And that probably, Even sh- if there hadn't been a grenade cascade. <laughs> that probably
1: should have been goal number one, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you hear that, Ishan?
0: I think it's our fourth grenade
1: cascade. <laughs> <laughs> that can only mean one thing. It's time to roll up another character. <laughs> let's move on to the character creation forge. And before we do that, uh, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. Uh, You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous.
0: And you can tweet at Eshin at Evil Sans Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can't fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And last but not least, you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we promised you the Adventurous Noble. Now... I think the thing that defines this build the most is, Shane, what separates this from just a plain old swashbuckler? You're a fencer. (laughs) It's all built around
1: the idea that if a noble is going to be combat capable and not just be a knight or a paladin, right? He's going to be a fencer. He's going to use only a rapier.
0: And we could do that with a rogue, but that doesn't give you the durability that you need to maintain really one-on-one if all you all you've really got between you and the enemy is like one rapier yeah and the rogue has all of its
1: flavor is all tied up in the roguish stuff right i mean for lack of a better term like we want him to be more of a negotiator socialite gambler type super high charisma versus the cat burglar, right. you know, underhanded kind of lower part of society kind of rogue archetype.
0: Right. right? And an adventure's noble doesn't do second story work. Exactly.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and and not only does he not do it, it's below him. <laughs> like he wouldn't be caught dead doing it. Right. She has people for that. Right. <laughs> All right. So what's the build? Purple dragon knight 11,
0: swashbuckler 9. I really like this this uh class level split because 11 levels of fighter gets us three attacks right
1: so you're instantly a more capable fighter than a rogue right i think that's key is the the extra attacks
0: mm-hmm.
1: purple dragon knight or banneret is the generic name for it from Sword coast adventurers guide is the charisma fighter he's sort of the the nobleman right i mean that's their that's kind of their build they gain uh, expertise in persuasion for example They get the rallying cry that they can use to boost their allies. They get the extra attacks. So I think that fits as sort of a foppish, you know, lead from the front. Like, (laughs) I've hired you all, now let's go be heroes, right? Kind of naive adventure. (laughs) Why are you all dying? Right. (laughs) And then the flip side, you get Swashbuckler. So you can actually duel pretty effectively and and the whole idea of
0: right well uh, like literal one-on-one duel yeah yeah
1: you're you're built for it because you don't need other creatures around you in order to trigger your sneak attack so that's where you're kind of boosting your damage with sneak attack and then i also like you get panache as a capstone which lets you challenge your enemy to focus only on you you can basically compel duels (laughs) even in the midst of other fights (laughs) mostly through you know Insults to somebody's family and their mother and, you know, (laughs) how worthless they are, the dregs of human society. I wouldn't be caught dead in the gutters that you hang out in.
0: Yeah, and this is where this character really sort of excels. So even in the scrum, you're basically clearing out a space where it's just you and me. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) So you get a bunch of fighter ASIs, which is always nice. Uh, Dex and charisma, which is actually one of my favorite stat spreads.
1: Yep, and that's all you need. I mean, constitution is nice, but you don't need any any other stats to really make this character Mm -hmm. work. And remember, you've also got second wind. For a bonus action, which will often be free because you're not dual (laughs) wielding. It's sort of the recommended build with the swashbuckler. So uh, the fighter will get your option of fighting style, right? I would recommend the dueling fighting style that gives you a little extra damage when Mm -hmm. you fight with a one-handed weapon and no weapon in your other hand. As an adventurer, you should carry a shield, but you Know if you're really having a duel in society, you got to cast the shield aside, right? I mean, yeah, it's just that it's the honorable way to do it,
0: uh, unless it's a plus three, very rare magic shield. In uh, which case, five yeah. AC is nothing to sneeze at exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but there is
1: actually the option to take two weapon fighting with this build mm. and just use two short swords, it actually works fine. You use your bonus action to attack as a swashbuckler, and then with uh, rakish audacity, you
0: can always uh, disengage after you attack. So for feats, Martial Adept is really great because really one of the drawbacks of taking Purple purple Dragon Knight uh, for a warlordy type archetype is that you can't take Battlemaster Fighter.
1: But with Martial Adept, you can get Battlemaster Maneuvers and
0: Superiority Dice. Right. So Commander Strike is great, as is rapost. Right. Rapost is excellent for the Duelist and Commander Strike is great for leading from the front.
1: Yep. Defensive Duelist, not something that we've actually recommended before, but Mm -hmm. on account of you technically not where using a shield and you kind of being built around that one-on-one fencing kind of style of combat. I thought that was fitting. You spend your reaction to add your proficiency bonus to your AC, which at high levels is actually pretty efficient. You know, wizards have spells like shield. Mm-hmm. You have this.
0: Which is six versus five. Right. right. You
1: you do give up the potential for using a sneak attack on an opportunity attack, though. Well, wow. Sentinel, I actually thought, was surprisingly good Um,
0: it's great if you're fighting a duel and someone wants to run away yeah i've had enough of this Mm, no uh,
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, it's also handy if somebody if you're not able to to separate with one person if you have to fight side by side and they attempt to an enemy attempts to attack your neighbor (laughs) well you've now triggered your sneak attack because they're adjacent and you're getting your uh, opportunity attack
0: right and it's a great synergy with a defensive duelist because if they attack you they'll probably miss if they attack your friend you'll hit them right. <laughs> <laughs> all right so what's the backstory for a character like this all right so
1: i would go for i mean i already tipped my hand a little bit but i would go for like the foppish second son of like a really wealthy and not no- like the seventh son uh, no i like second <laughs> like or maybe third you know like just with no ambition for for leading the house you know you're just like uh you're you're the playboy you're the prince harry <laughs> like, <laughs> like you know you're going to show up in wizard vegas every once in a while and you know it's going to be embarrassing photos on instagram
0: <laughs> uh, i got a sending this morning <laughs> right you were naked
1: again <laughs> so i would start rogue one take expertise in deception and intimidation i think that that works really well for like a gambler kind of thing and and so you basically your life is Dinner clubs and card play with insipid society folk. And you win a lot, but it's just not that exciting. So you want to get a little more juice? You want to gamble with higher stakes? How about gamble with your life?
0: Uh-huh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. What's your character? Batman. You no, know, <laughs> not literally Batman, but an actual Playboy, a dilettante. Okay. Like you said, uh, but who uh, my character is, um, I guess, good at heart and um close to some of her servants oh, okay. so sort of sees you know the seedy underbelly and decides you know what i've got the skills i can i can make things better Oh,
1: so maybe she gets involved because someone she's loyal to one of her attendants or house staff or something like that has a problem with the thieves guild yeah and and maybe she has to go settle it right
0: I like that. And she can't just throw money at the problem for whatever <laughs> reason. For, for once. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. A challenge. <laughs> Instead, she'll use that money to buy gear, like, plus three shields. Right. <laughs> you know what I could really use now? Alfred? Yeah. <laughs> I, I
1: needed a, a, an amulet of health. <laughs> Got to get, get my con up to 19. <laughs> That's right. Very good, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you're willing to help us out and leave us
0: a review, we will read it on the air. You can also find us on Stitcher. It's like a Pandora for podcasts. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithm will help other people find us. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about the method actor player profile. And in the character creation forge? We're building an up-close-and-personal iron archer.
1: Well, that's it for episode 37 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane.
0: And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening.